Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Gavin Coyle, founder and CEO of The Coyle Group, about the state of workplace safety in Europe. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Gavin Coyle, CEO and founder of The Coyle Group. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Hey, Jay. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. All right. Well, great to have you. And uh, before we get started, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and the Coil Group. Yeah. Um, so Gavin Coyle, I'm the CEO of the Coil Group, and uh, we supply um, premium health and safety professionals to the offshore wind, onshore wind, utilities, and power station industries. Uh, some work in utilities, uh, but it's mainly wind energy and uh, power generation. Um, we also have gavin-coil.com, which is basically a business that we set up um, about 12 months ago with a view to helping contractors of a small to medium size uh, with their health and safety um, challenges in the workplace. Um, so I'm looking forward to discussing some of these sort of areas that we are uh, offering at the moment to small builders to try and help them navigate their way through health and safety. Um, so yeah, I'm in the business about 25 years at this stage. Um, a master's degree in safety, um, had a couple of businesses in safety until we kind of settled on the model, which is supplying premium health and safety people and then doing a small bit of strategic consulting as well. So how did you kind of get uh, involved in working in AEHS? Uh, what sort of drove you into the field? Um, probably similar to yourselves and, and many other people was I was kind of thrown into the deep end. Um, at the time I was, I just left school and the large um, amount of American multinationals were coming into Europe in a big way, mainly to build um, pharmaceutical plants and the likes of Intel for the, you know, um, building the chip um, factories. Um, so, you know, you Compaq, you had Hewlett Packard, you had Intel. Uh, then on the pharmaceutical side of things, you had the likes of GlaxoSmithKline, Beecham, uh, Warner Lambert, which is now Pfizer's. And like they, they weren't building small plants, they were building large hyperscale plants. And to be fair, the Irish system in terms of health and safety wasn't really progressive or mature at that point. Um, yes, we had a, a decent enough um, piece of legislation, which was an upgrade from the one back in the 50s and 60s, but it was 1989 uh, and that has been overall since, um, I think it was 2013 was the last one, but um, these American companies were insisting on certain models that they had proven out in in their own territory so they wanted a full-time health and safety professional on site that wasn't a thing in ireland there wasn't a legal requirement or other uh there wasn't a standard in ireland to have a full-time safety person so um i got the finger pointed at me to say look you're kind of you're young and dumb <laughs> uh, <laughs> no that's and and uh, please don't take any offense to that if any safety people are out there because it was, I think a lot of people would resonate with that, that, you know, um, who's going to do the safety and it just goes to show you the mentality of the, of the people I was working for at the time and, and just the general industry was like, you know, it's not, it's not a big thing, just get him to do with the labourer, the new guy that started and 
went to a meeting and loved the whole concept of managing risk and you know helping to keep people safe and so um very quickly um started you know getting stuck in and really enjoyed uh the initial experience um however I suppose within two years of starting that position i was on site on a hotel project that we, um, we were working on and one of our guys fell headfirst down into a hole and uh, I went with him in the ambulance and he died uh, a day or two later from his injuries. It was catastrophic um, uh, brain injury, uh, head injury that he had. Um, so that woke me up very quick, um, you know, that if you're going to make a career out of health and safety, this is a consequence of t- when things go wrong. Um, and then I lost my brother who drowned along with two other guys within the space of about two years from the young guy dying. My brother was basically throwing a ball to each other in the Atlantic Ocean. The guys had just finished school for the summer and, uh, you know, there was no messing around. It was just throwing a ball to each other and a freak wave came in and took the three guys out to sea. And um, obviously we lost them. Um, So that was from a personal uh, point of view, very traumatic. And then on, on the career side of things, very traumatic as well. And again, you look back at it and there was no counselling um, uh, at the time from even from in the workplace situation, you know, nobody in that team that's seen that young fella, you know, s- screaming and, and trying to hang on to life, if you like, um, nobody was even offered counselling or any sort of, oh, wow. and I wasn't that it was a macho thing or it wasn't that the company didn't respect it. It was just wasn't, it was another thing that wasn't available or wasn't looked at at that time. And uh, I've often looked back at it myself and said like, it was just by my natural makeup that I have a toolkit to understand empathy and to, you know, not freak out in those situations. And I, I didn't freak out, I just went straight into crisis management mode. And that was natural instinct and I think, I wouldn't wish it on anybody uh, to have to deal with that scenario, but having gone through it, it allows me to have a very sharp laser focus on what it is we're trying to do when we're talking to people about health and safety and why it is so important and how, you know, it's just a second away from somebody being in front of you and having the vibration of life and the energy of life, and then all of a sudden it's just sucked out of them and gone. And to see that young guy, um, you know, hang on to their life to try and hang in there was uh, very traumatic, but at the same time, very sobering in terms of, you know, we're only a split second away from uh, potentially losing people. Um, uh, it's a dangerous job that we do in construction, and the guys that are in it should be you know, highly commended for the type of work that they do. And maybe we don't recognize that enough. You know, we talk about pilots in the air and stuff like that, but like pilots are not dropping out of the sky and planes are not dropping out of the sky, but people are are dying daily on, on building sites. So, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, puts it into context. Absolutely. Um, so how have you seen things change since you first got into that sort of into safety in, in Ireland? Like how is, how has it evolved over the years? And obviously you're, you're working in it now, but, yeah. um, 
you know, obviously things have improved uh, since you, since those early days. Yeah, they have. Um, <laughs> you, you'd wonder. You'd, uh, like I, I love studying other countries and other models and other cultures. Actually, it's uh, uh, we were doing an exercise recently. Um, we're building our own safety culture assessment tool, and one of the researchers that we were using came out with a very interesting concept uh, in the aviation industry. They look at the national culture not just the business culture and the safety culture, but the national culture. Uh, I thought it was an interesting angle that we probably don't look at. And, you know, we talk about health and safety and we talk about building legal frameworks. Um, you know, there's no real Rolls-Royce legal framework out there um, that is the ultimate model, if you like, because if there was, then people wouldn't be dying. Um, yeah. So... Um, Ireland has come on a long, a long way. Um, the health and safety industry globally, in my opinion, hasn't progressed at the same level as other careers or other professions. And I believe that it has stagnated in terms of innovation. So what do I mean by that? The biggest innovation in health and safety in most recent times has actually been e-learning. And you really have to question yourself and say, is that really it? You know, and that was price driven more yeah. than it was compliance driven. You know, how do we stop losing money with guys coming off the job to go down to a local hotel? You know, travel cost, time, for, overnight. For two days or whatever. For two days or whatever. So that was price driven. And it's a very yeah. interesting concept to talk about today. So the only real major impact that I've seen in health and safety over the last 10 years has been e-learning and e-learning was already there anyway it wasn't yeah. that it was a new phenomenon it was maybe a video recorder uh, that turned into an exam at the end of it it's still e-learning it's still a kind of an e-learning medium if you like um excited to see how ai is going to uh, influence safety um virtual reality stuff is great i love it i love the whole you know, you can sit in a crane, but you're not in the crane. You can yeah. sit in a MEWP and you're not in the MEWP. Love all that. Again, it's all training related, but it's all efficiency models to, to create, you know, um, to stop uh, losing money on training. Uh, it's not so much. I wonder how much focus is on to make people more safe in terms of in terms of these these models, you know. Well, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned you're working on a safety culture assessment tool. Yeah. Um, you know, what is sort of the state of safety culture or the, your, or the you know, the sense of safety in companies in Europe yeah. right now? What is, is it, is it, a, you know, is it a priority or is it still, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of financially driven, yeah. uh, you know, <clears throat> metrics. Is that, is that still kind of the uh, be all end all is, is the bottom line? Look, um, Jay, I, from speaking to business owners and stuff like that, nobody is reckless. That day of get up and get that done or you don't have a job, that conversation doesn't happen anymore. Mm. A lot, you know, let's be let's be honest about it. Uh, it did happen in the past where it was kind of, you know, it's very, very seldom you'd hear of a, a bullying type, you know, uh, mm. um, uh, approach towards health and safety with people. Um, but I will say that 
and this is why we wrote the book workplace safety on a budget there's still a kind of an element of small to medium business owners thinking that you have to have loads of money in order to be have a safe model or have a really high standard of safety that is not true whatsoever so there is some still bias in the system um you know and there is still oh my god it's health and safety it's it's holding us back it's in the way but as you you know, we, we work in a kind of a premium, highly regulated environment in Coil Group. Those conversations don't happen. It's all about the product, the people, how are we going to land this project safely, on time, on budget. And if we need more time, we'll get more time because we need to make sure that this job is done right and it's done safely. Unfortunately, as you move down the food chain, uh, things get a lot a lot tighter money becomes tighter schedules are a lot tighter procurement departments don't have a a clear guided model of how to actually deliver a safe project they only have a model of how to make money from the project that they're looking at and mm-hmm. there's a whole conflict then by the time the job starts and safety is just in the middle of it and people safety people are getting frustrated because they're saying you know, if we planned this properly, or if we had time to plan this properly, we would have we wouldn't be in the scenario where we're, where we are now, where we're behind the curve. You know, we're behind schedule. We're having to load more people on, uh, and we're all in reactive mode. And we all know that those projects they're, they're probably one of the worst projects you can be on, where everybody's losing money or at least trying to save whatever money they can from what you know they're dealing with. They want to do the right thing by the client. They want to make sure that people go home safe. But it's a challenge. It's yeah. still it's still happening in this day and age that we are not evaluating the capacity of companies and individuals to deliver safe jobs or to deliver the job itself. So what's happening? People are going out, they're throwing in a load of tender prices into a load of jobs, hoping that they'll get at least one or two. And next thing, all of a sudden, they get some of these jobs and they already have their current jobs and now they haven't got the capacity and they haven't got the resources to tool up and do these jobs. And they're not going to say to the client, sorry, we can't do that job because we don't have the capacity. They're going to say, yeah, we're going to do that job because, you know, we want to, build this massive company and we want to create growth and scale and you know we'll figure it out as we go along and that's what's happening and we and i'm sure you see it in the states as well mm-hmm. and in canada you know people are just you know it's hard to get people you cannot get good trades people that's number one you can't even get good you can't get safety people it's not that you can't get good safety people they're just they're, since covid you know we've everybody ha, uh, has lost a proportion of their industry where people either didn't go back to work, people retired, or the conveyor belt stopped in terms of the education process. And so now we're left with this brain drain gap and the projects have still continued to go as fast as they ever have, but the labor force is not catching up to meet the demand. You mentioned that you wrote a book. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and how that came about, and and you know, what's what's it about? So workplace safety yeah, on a safety. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so workplace safety on a budget. Uh, I wrote it um, to dispel uh, the myth that you know you need to have lots of money to do really a really good um, standard of safety in your business. So whether you're a large enterprise. 
and you're spending too much on safety or whether you're a small startup or you know you're struggling uh, SME with the whole sort of like trying to you know achieve safety and a lot and we speak to a lot of business owners they do really want to do the right thing but you know safety is a very can get very complex and people can make it complex and it shouldn't be that way safety is very simple and it should be just an integrated part of your overall business and your brand and what the, what the book does is it tells you and teaches you it's like a guide to um, hacks that you can use to make your your company more efficient make your company safe to um we give you loads of tips and techniques of what you can do to actually reduce the cost of safety or to save money so that you can repurpose that money yeah leave some of it for profit but then repurpose it for better equipment you know hire people at a bigger salary so you attract better competent people into your business you know we want people to start thinking of their safety department as a profit center mm. and we want people to start stop thinking that safety is just compliance it's compliance but it can also save you money you can also add more profit to your business if you do safety smartly and the book is just the start of that and what came out of that then we realized was a program and we call it the business of safety program where we sit down with business owners and we say right let's do a whole deep dive on your business because safety touches off every department in every business no matter who you are i don't care whether it's a food business or a construction business there's a safety element to every department and so if we look analytically at all of those departments and we see how are you performing in terms of health and safety and what your spend is on safety and whether you should actually be spending money in that area or in a different area we're helping businesses to analyze that and then put a better strategy in place to say, look, you need to spend more money in this department because you're actually having very clear impact results that are, you know, improving your bottom line. And, you know, with one company, we, uh, they made actually over a million euros based on that model that we introduced. So they had guys in a, in holes, in trenches. And when we spoke to the guys, it was over a hundred. We spoke to a section of them they said no we were employed as um overhead lines uh, electrical power lines so we should be on poles we shouldn't be down in the ground at all but because the company had won this massive framework contract from a government body the company went spoke to all the employees and said we're going to pay you more money and you got at least 20 years of work here ahead of you so what do you want to do and everybody just agreed look you know money does talk um yeah and uh so so they were doing a less qualified job in a fairly mundane type of a a, a role and so we identified that but it was other things but that was one of the big things we we picked out and we said to the owners why is it you're not using a specific contractor that only does this work because there is companies that only does this work and it was very interesting jay they their mindset was number one they didn't want to bring in a company that could potentially become their competitor later on and start to do this work themselves. Number two, they didn't want to introduce a company to their client so that then there was a relationship between this company and the client and therefore then they might lose work further down the line. And we were like, but you're such, you're like a 50 million turnover business, this particular business. So it wasn't a small business, 
but the logic is still the same whether you're small or large it's like if you're good enough at what you do and you have the respect and the loyalty with your clients they're not going to go anywhere else so we had this sort of workshop style debate with the directors of the business to say look guys you know this is going use use guys have all the knowledge you know how long it takes to do this work you know how many hours you know how many people it takes you know how much material and time it takes to do this job you've everything you've you've the whole blueprint from doing this yourself so now you know how much it costs you so let's just go to market select three contractors and then go to tender with those contractors and that's what they've done we introduced them to an individual company that we knew that does this work as well it wasn't it was still up in the air where who would get it but that particular company actually did end up getting it and they went from like a 50 a 40 50 person company to a 250 person company overnight because oh wow yeah so so the small company became bigger and obviously we're really appreciative of the work and access to this type of consistent work and they knew it inside out anyway and the client that we were talking to and uh, that we um were advising they made a great uh, gross profit, net profit uh, on the work because they, they knew exactly where, where the price was in order to make money on this job. So now they're win-win because they're making more money. The guys came out of the hole, they were repurposed back onto the overhead lines, which meant now that they had the capacity, back to capacity again, to win more work. So they went back to their existing clients and said, hey, we now have these 100 people that we can now put to work on these other projects that you have in the pipeline. So why don't we speed up that pipeline, put our, all our guys now that we have available and let's improve the, the production line for you in terms of doing all these works that were scheduled not to start for another couple of years. So then they obviously brought in more business. And I, like, I regularly speak to the MD about that business and he's like, you know, it's just, it's kind of, shocked that they never thought to think about this as a model you know and this was purely out of out of the business of safety mindset was like how can you make safety work for your business in a, in a profitable but compliant way you know and um uh, we're not doing enough and from where i'm sitting um there is a glass ceiling in terms of how far a health and safety professional can go to to influence leaders to a point of where we can have a conversation at the boardroom level with uh, stakeholders, board members, directors, and we can have a discussion about let's look at uh, safety department as a profit center. And I think it's the only language that the leaders will understand and listen to these days because the day of, well, if you don't do it, you're going go to jail and you're going to get prosecuted right that doesn't that doesn't wash anymore the leaders that that worked 20 years ago doesn't work anymore they, they, you know it's 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 they're desensitized to that to that message so so what message are the leaders going to listen to they're going to listen to you walking in throw the book on the table i've just read that book i think we can save ourselves up, up to 50 percent on the cost of safety and i think we can actually repurpose the way we do some work um based on some of these learnings that i've learned from so you know um really the book has sort of opened my mind up as well because i was doing some of this work but i didn't put it into a logic of a program if you like yeah i mean 
and, and uh, you know, we see that over here too, is that sort of the business mindset that safety is kind of an, you know, an added bonus. Like it's not, it's not infused in every single thing that you do. It's yeah. like, you know, let's, well, you know, we'll talk to the safety guy when we need to, if there's a problem, as yeah. opposed to, you know, starting from the beginning with everything needs to be, you know, uh, thought of from a, you know, a safety standpoint. Uh, so I think that's, you know, hopefully slowly changing here too. Um, but what, I think, um, you know, you mentioned, safety, oh, go ahead. Uh, so, sorry, I think safety oh. people as well. I think, um, you know, anyone will tell you, if you want to if you want to sell something into a business don't go to the safety person because they don't make the decision on purchasing and uh you know safety people it's not to say there's anything wrong with that it's just safety people have to, that part of their you know mindset is completely removed in terms of the commercial aspect of a business you know, they're solely focused on compliance and they're solely focused on, yeah, they want the right helmet and they want the right gloves and they want the right equipment. I get all that. But once it, once it has a particular standard, they don't have much of a leverage to have an argument, say, for example, with the purchasing department about, you know, I don't like those particular helmets. Can you get these particular helmets? You know, the guy's going to turn around and says, is it standard? What, what standard does it meet? Yeah, it meets that standard. We're buying it at that price and that's it. Yeah. You know, um, I think if, if safety people sort of look into this mindset themselves, they, they could very well surprise themselves by, you know, they don't have to sell safety, in, in, but they can look at it from an analytical point of view and go, Do you know what, I think we can get better stuff here. And if we're smart, we can actually, you know, save the company a few pounds along the way. So here's another model for you. And not many people would uh, look at it, but, you know, the construction industry, in my mind, globally is a very fragmented industry people don't collaborate together enough in the construction industry from from my experiences the and these the really top large you know big builders they're very very good now at at playing the whole project management card where oh, we we don't actually do any of the work anymore we used to years ago now we just get all these other companies to do it for us and we manage them. And, you know, they're very smart in doing that because what they've done is they outsourced the risk as well. Financial exposure has reduced, safety exposure has reduced, and all this has now been, you know, transferred over to small to medium enterprises. And I fear for a lot of these small companies because, you know, you could very soon easily be caught up in a situation where you're financially exposed and once you're financially exposed you're also safety exposed yeah um you mentioned earlier about sort of the brain drain there's not enough people getting into safety um, yeah what needs to happen to get more people interested in in, in you know ehs kind of positions uh, really really at, um, at the high school level nobody's having the conversation with the individuals to say by the way do you realize you can make upwards of 100K a year in certain industries as a health and safety professional? And people, like I, I've had people working for me and and they've seen some of the rates that we pay. They're going like, oh my God, if I'd have known that safety pay that well, you know, I, would, I wouldn't have went to college for four years and done X or whatever else. Now, right. I'm not I saying- think a, lot, a lot of people just don't know about it. 
just don't know about it. Yeah. They don't know. And, and it's, it is, you know, it's kind of a, what is health and safety? You know, it doesn't really, like, that's a whole other conversation, Jane. And thanks for bringing <laughs> it up. But, like, they're, safety is very broad as a topic. Yeah. You know, it should be more refined. You know, we found engineers that were engineers that then done health and safety afterwards. They're brilliant uh, safety professionals because they think about the root cause. They think about logic and how does how did how did this happen? And they go through all the pro- their mindsets are very structured in that way. Um, just just as an observation, but like. The universities are struggling. They'll tell you that they're well down on capacity for health and safety people since COVID because what happened was, from what we've heard, is that the large corporates that used to send, you know, a couple, two, 2% of their workforce on a health and safety course just because, well, if you want to do one, you can do one. It's no harm doing one and we'll pay right. for it. Right. They stopped doing all that. And when COVID hit, uh, the universities will tell you all those large multinationals scrapped those, you know, I'll give I'll give you access to courses. They, you know, right. in the so the multinational stopped. That's number one. Number two, there isn't a conveyor belt coming through from high school, uh, through right. into into the univers into the safety program. So there needs to be a very um, concerted effort to brand up the message of a career in health and safety. And we're constantly trying to push that message ourselves, but. You know, once you get qualified, then you have to get into industry and you need the experience. And, you know, a lot of people won't take you on unless you have the experience. So how do we then manage a situation that we can bring people through a graduate program that, you know, can have impact and get people into these industries? It's difficult. It's difficult. And the safety, I think we looked the last time we looked at it, like majority of safety people are, you know, in industry are... 40 plus years of age you know we've brought back at least six or seven people in the 60 to 70 range um out of retirement and said look we need you to come back would you be interested now they can pick and choose obviously because they're in semi-retirement but like they'll tell you themselves it's no longer semi-retirement they're probably full-time with us um, yeah. but it's it's not good um, you know, you have once one case, um, you have not enough labour coming through on the trades, and now you've not got enough safety people to manage the capacity. Yeah, something's got to change. Yeah, big time, um, because the projects aren't slowing up, uh, and right. everybody listening to the po- uh, this podcast will concur. You know, the foot is still very much down on getting these projects built and done. Um, we see it with data centers and just to give your own listeners sort of a landscape the data center model is just blitzing through Europe at the moment um, um, at a very large scale you know um, which is obviously eating up a lot of energy which has has an impact on utilities as well so um, um, it's a dangerous time where I'm sitting at the moment, doesn't matter whether you're in the States or whether you're in Europe, it's a dangerous time to be in safety. Um, you know, it's the it's not looking good, the landscape in terms of um, the amount of work that's being done and the amount of pressure that's being put on the people 
and how safely those operations are. Are you uh, are you hopeful that things will improve at some point, or is it just uh, right now it's kind of just doing the work and 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 hoping that other people get it? See, I, 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 yeah, you've you've heard the phrase safety is a non-event. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Yeah. So if it's non-event, it's not going to get talked about, it's not going to get mm. spoken about, and it's not going to get analyzed. Um, the smart people, you know, that are going to survive a recession or that they're going to resive, resive, um, survive a downturn or that they're going to survive through this whole process are, are those that are thinking about the future and thinking about the sustainability of their product or their business. Um, and I think if people, if leaders are listening to this conversation, I'd love them to go back into their business and just analyze the sustainability of what they're delivering at the moment. And what does that look like in five years time? And is it the same company or is it a bigger company? Or are you going to shrink it? Or are you going to come out of the industries that you're in? Or have you been taking on additional work that's not your core focus, like that company I spoke about earlier on? And do you need to come away from those, those particular tasks that you're just doing because you want to help the client out? You don't want to lose face with them, but they're not really your core business. Um, I think if anybody's listening to this from a leadership point of view, they'll understand. I know for a fact they're probably sitting there going, yeah, we're actually doing work we shouldn't be doing. They're all doing, everybody's doing it because there isn't the capacity of people or companies to deliver the amount of work. So what's happening is the clients are going back to the existing guys and saying, hey, I know you do piping, but can you do roofing as well? <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I they, know don't wanna, I, they don't want to lose the customer. So. Don't want to lose it. Yeah. Now, I'm, not, I'm being dramatic about like piping and roofing. It's to- totally different disciplines. It's not that, but it could be something subtle. You know, right. it could be that you're doing drywall and they're asking you now to do the painting as well. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, you, you're already putting it up. You're already plastering it. So why don't you just paint it? Do you know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, he's, you know, and you lose focus. And when you lose focus, you lose direction. And when you lose direction, you lose safety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gavin, great talking to you about this stuff. Hopefully, uh, hopefully things will, that mindset will start to change at some point. But uh, keep yeah. uh, keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry if I sounded doom and gloom, Jay, but uh, honestly, <laughs> there is positive, needs to, right? There is green shoots. There is green shoots. Look, if uh, if anyone wants to take anything away from the conversation, go back and look at your business. Look at how you can improve your business from a safety perspective. Analyze everything in your business, and you know you can save yourself money and you can actually make money on safety if you do it right. All right. Thank you so much. Take care, Pat. All right. That wraps up episode 169 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.